there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. Yeah, could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is! Andy Sinton from nothing. Ryan Roy has headed for it into the lead. Whelan. Oh, what a goal from Noel Whelan. No power on it whatsoever. But Taibbi has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin Will He Score. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And the man who helped Alan Sugar wash his car with Jurgen Klinsmann's <laughs> shirt, it's Michael Marden. Hello. Sugar said he wouldn't wash his, his car with it, didn't he? I thought he did. did he... I thought he did wash his did shirt do... with it. He didn't wash his shirt with it. He no, washed... he washed his... Yeah, sorry. Did he actually go through with the washing of the car with it? Surely I thought he not. did. I thought he did. I imagine he got Claude and um, Karen Brady to do it for him. <laughs> um, that's an insult that's dated, isn't it? Do people wash their cars anymore? Then they do. It was a big thing. Do you remember when Alan, Sh- Alan Shearer creosoted the friends to celebrate going yeah. six points clear at the top of the league or whatever it was? That was in the days when Alan Shearer was considered boring rather than one of our top pundits. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for all the lovely reaction we got to the return of Quickly Kevin. We recorded the uh, top of the second episode at the time, so we didn't have any instant reaction to read out for you. Um, so uh, we have got some emails pertaining to that first episode we put out, which is very exciting. You've got mail. Now, we had an email from a man who claimed to have met Paul Merson's brother. Trevor. E- Trevor, well, I've got bad news for you. No. We've got an email from Gary Merson. Subject, I'm Paul Merson's real brother. What? No way! Hello. Reply to the Trevor story on Steve Bruce episode. Hi, guys, this is Paul Merson's brother, Gary Merson. (laughs) Shut up! The Trevor story is definitely not true. Paul has two brothers, Gary and our other brother, Keith. So he doesn't even have a brother called Trevor. He doesn't have... So I'm (laughs) suspecting, to defend our listener... That he has fallen for a pub prank rather... I don't think he's fictionalised. Because I think if you'd fictionalised it, you would have Googled who Paul Merson's brothers are. You wouldn't have just gone, I'm going to have a guess at Trevor. Yeah, yeah. But I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on that. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Keith... It was Keith that was living with Paul when Paul was in Middlesbrough. He would drive the players around and the only link he had to a Brazilian player was that he used to drive Emerson to the airport when he went home to Brazil every week after each game. (laughs) (laughs) He flew back Wednesday and played on the Saturday. That's amazing. Wow. Every week. Every week. He'd no. fly back. That's insane. Are we? Is this another scam? Are we, are we falling for like <laughs> a so... double Merson grift? <laughs> well, if so, Gary Merson has set up a personalised email account with, which does have Gary Merson in the oh, email really? title. I obviously won't give it out. Has he got any pictures? For fear he'll be deluged. <laughs> 
Have we got? Has he got a picture? Is there any proof in the email that he is Paul Merson's brother? No, but to be fair, we didn't accept that in a much more spurious email two episodes ago. So we can't we, suddenly we up our journalistic <laughs> standards right now. Well, I think we've exposed ourselves print, already. Print the legend. Print the legend. Right. One more story you might like is that uh, Gaza signed for Borough. Him and Five Bellies loved Paul and Keith. Saturday after a home game, Gaza asked Keith if he fancied flying south to play in Paul Walsh's testimonial game. <laughs> Uh, they flew by fr- private jet on Sunday morning, arrived at Fratton Park after one or two beers. Gaza said, if Keith can't play, he won't play. They had Keith a shirt and, as promised, he was subbed on at half-time. He played in a back four that consisted of Keith Merson, <laughs> Chris Evans, Robbie Williams and John Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> John, Barnes is John Barnes and Robbie Williams are in defence. Yeah. <laughs> They're both flair players. What? what, Robbie Williams? Yeah, he's not a defender, surely. <laughs> no, you wouldn't think so. Who's testimonies? Is Paul Walsh. Paul Walsh. So how did Gary Merson get in touch with him? Does Gary Merson listen? Yeah, Gary Merson's a listener. No prize for guessing his favourite episode. Right, um, now... Um, if you are a brother of a 90s <coughs> footballer and you have anything to share and you listen to this, hello at Quickly Kevin. Or if you are a 90s footballer, I wonder if there are 90s footballers that listen. Yeah, yeah it must get be. In touch. Get in touch. We'd love Some, to hear from someone's you. Someone's currently setting up a spurious Neil Shipley <laughs> hotline account. <laughs> <laughs> Striker at Neil Shipley. We've got another. We've got another update. Um, we've got a couple more updates actually on things we discussed last time. This is from Steve Moore on Hans Sager's ties. It turns out allegedly Hans Sager's tie business, as previously mentioned, the profits were used as his alibi for money entering account that shouldn't have. No, really. His second alibi was even more mad. The story gets about as 90s as you could get. This is from The Independent. So the, the headline is, I haven't read this, OK? So I haven't read the li- I'm going to read it out. OK, we'll... risky, but yeah. Headline, Sagers told lies to save football career. The former Wimbledon goalie, Hans Sagers, yesterday admitted to having cheated and lied, but insisted he's never thrown a football match. So th- this is when him and Grobelart were accused of throwing matches with the Far Eastern betting syndicate. Yeah. Mr. Sagers has told the court that some of the money he paid into his Swiss bank account was profits from a tie business given to him in cash by his Dutch-based partner to save on United Kingdom oh, tax. Oh, come on. Well, it still, it still shouldn't be doing that. I mean, he shouldn't be doing that, but how much the tie business is getting cash payments for his tie, Dutch tie <laughs> well, business? Michael, exhibit A, the advertising board around Selhurst <laughs> Park. There's just a telephone number on there and a fax machine. <laughs> Not a website. You, don't, you can't make payments with Visa. Presumably, it's you ring up, you turn up and pay cash. You're not going to believe his second excuse. Mr. Sagers also confirmed he'd made up stories when interviewed police, such as he did not know Mr. Lim, who he does not. Yeah. Hardly ever spoke to Fashion And this was another story we made. Money in the account came partly from car crime in the Netherlands as a teenager. What? <laughs> So he's admitting Grand Theft no, Auto. He, he, no, he made that up to cover for the money in his account. <laughs> That's, was Hans Sagers cleared? I don't know. I think he was. Just to be clear, um, he was cleared in 1997 at Winchester Crown Court of all the charges. But he was found guilty by the Football Association of breaching betting regulations in December 97. And he was also found guilty by... Oh, so by was... the fashion police. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish tie. <laughs> We've still got no emails from someone with a handsaker's tie, which, for shame, for shame. Now, one final thing to clear up. I don't know if you remember, in Defender by Steve Bruce, there was a, uh, a character called Paul Ince that worked for the Manchester Evening News. Yes, of course. Yes. And we were speculating over whether this was meant to be the real Paul Ince. Yeah. 
or whether Steve Bruce had made up a name and he'd chosen the name Paulins. <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of emails on this, all saying the same thing, so I'm choosing one at random. Thank you to everyone that's emailed in. Everyone claiming they're explaining it, but I actually think it makes it more confusing. This is from Will Payne, and the email is called Paul Hints, <laughs> with an H. Redefender podcast, Paul Hints was a journalist for the Manchester Evening News at the time. Quite a bit of blue, so I can see why Brucey Barnes, he wasn't a fan. You're saying Paul Hints with a H before Yes, Hintz. so... And he's just dropped the H. So, so that raises more questions than it answers for me. <laughs> the questions it raises are, as is editor corrected it and gone, oh, Bruce has dropped an absolute hanger here. Everyone knows Paul Hintz is the man involved in football. Or he's dropped the H in a way that he changes the names, which seems mad when he's doing the Manchester Evening News. Because it definitely says Paul Ince. In it the says book. Paul Ince 100%. Or thirdly, Steve Bruce has been labouring under the thought for years that the man was actually called Paul Ince. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. In a press conference, he's gone, it's Paul Ince, but the H is very soft. Uh, yeah. So Steve's been calling him the wrong thing. But, yeah. <laughs> so Th- that feels right. Well, what might have happened, because Steve Bruce would probably not be doing press conferences or whatever at that point. Yeah. Fergie's muttering away about how he hates dealing with Paul Hintz. <laughs> And Steve Bruce yeah, sort of thought angry he, Scottish. Yeah, yeah, he's weird, isn't it? What a coincidence! But I don't. It's think... It's not a coincidence. He's he's done that knowingly, hasn't he? He's definitely done. Oh, that do you knowingly. think? Oh, that, there's that's the other option is that he hates Paul Hintz, and as a kind of slam on him, he's changed his name to Paul Ince. Just kind of wind up Paul Hintz because the the Paul Ince character in the book he was sort of slightly disparaging towards was he I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, so the, according to his emails, Paul Hintz was a bit of a controversialist. Yeah, who uh, Alex Ferguson really didn't like. Oh, it's definitely him. What do you think? If you had to bet on what's happened there, typo? Uh, uh, no, I think I think he's dropped the H because he wants Paul Ince. Paul Hintz. He wants the real <laughs> Paul Hintz to know. I guess it's a wind up, isn't it? Because he's implying that Paul Ince. Is a report like if a reporter in this story is created, but also it's a slam on Paul Hints because he's got his name intentionally Unless wrong. It's a two birds with one stone situation, and he's got beef with both the real Paul Hints and the real and, Paul Hints. Yeah, neither is happy. Neither yeah. party is enjoying this. Have we got time for one more? Yeah, yeah. This one's for you, Scar. Oh, great. Hi, gents. This was almost nineties, but bear with me. After Arsenal won the league at Anfield in '89. I went to a signing session at Woolworths on Chapel Market to meet my idols. Four stars were there. Manager George Graham was there. Great. Yeah. Midfield maestro Paul Davis was there. Although he never played in the final day, he did live five minutes away, so probably handy for a bit of shopping after Sainsbury's or M&S. Amazingly, Michael Thomas was there. The fourth person was England World Cup winning captain Bobby Moore. What? What? That's amazing. I was expecting someone rubbish. As great as it was to get my Anfield 89 VHS signed by Bobby, it was a bit weird as he had no relation to <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> so, one, who booked him? And two, I wonder who pulled out, as I'm guessing he was a last-minute call-up. That's weird. That's mad. So he's got a video of the 1989, what, the match, signed by Bobby Moore? Signed by George Graham, Paul Davis, Michael Thomas and Bobby Moore, That's yeah. That's mad. I wonder whether Bobby Moore had gone along to get something signed by the <laughs> Arsenal players. And it was like, well, I went in Rome. Well, they, but I think there's, there's a kind of... The last chapters in the Bobby Moore story are quite sad, sad, aren't yeah. they? He, he famously kind of didn't have much money in the yeah. last days. And I wonder if just... If someone had offered him 100 quid to go and do the signing or whatever, whatever the fee would have been, whether they were just short of a person and they thought, you can't really turn down Bobby Moore. <laughs> 
Because I don't think he's got any specific relation to George Graham, Paul Davis and Michael Thomas. At an absolute stretch, I think he was doing co-commentary for Capital Gold, so he may have commentated on that match. But, yeah. I mean, I'm, clutching, I'm clutching at straws here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's a real collector's item. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. You're That's... not going to get many... Well, like, everyone, every, else every, everyone, everyone else at that signing has probably got their own <laughs> signed. Yeah. There's <laughs> probably hundreds of these 1989 videos signed by Bobby It's the one item you don't want signed by Bobby Moore in many ways. <laughs> if only I'd remembered to bring my 1966 World Cup shirt. That would have been the one to... <laughs> it's a bit like our live shows when we had uh, that piece of Manchester United card that was signed by George Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was a thing that just happened in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Things wrong club things signed by other club people. We're, we'd be more than happy to hear about that. Or anything more about Paul Hintz. Yeah. <laughs> anything more about Paul Merson's brother or Gaz's charity football matches. Or anything more about Hans Sager's ties. I'd love to hear from Paul Merson's cousins if there are. Yeah, yeah Paul Merson's cousins. We did this really early on, but like, if you've got anything weird signed by a footballer, yeah, like, and, uh, we've got much more listeners now. So if you've got anything weird signed by a footballer, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but I got once went to West Ham Wimbledon away, and I got to Selhurst Park like two hours before the game. Like I got the kickoff time wrong, and I was there early enough to bump into Joe Kinnear, and I had him sign my copy of the Daily Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Sports section. Um, any of those things, this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Right, here we are. First manager, if you don't count Gobby, Bobby Gold. Gobby Gold. Gobby Bold. Gobby Bold. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a sensible world of soccer version yeah. of like Bobby Gould. Gobby Bald is great. Yeah. <laughs> Stepha Barnes is coming up against his nemesis, Gobby Bald. Gobby Bald. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever been called Gobby Bald. He's actually got a very good head of hair considering his age. Yeah. So lucky. But he is Gobby. He is Gobby. <laughs> um, this is. Callan Erbishley. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's Alan Kerbishley. Steve Jones inside the penalty area. Good cross. Then It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Our guest this week turned Charlton Athletic from second tier also rans to Premier League titans in the late 90s, lasting a mightily impressive 15 years in the job in the process. Surely one of the very few Premier League managers to clock up hundreds of Premier League games without ever getting the sack. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, our first proper Premier League manager, Alan Kerbishley. Ah, welcome, to be here. Wow. Never got the sack? No, I've, I've never got the sack, no. It's interesting. I've always walked out the front door. Yeah. <laughs> The front door at Charlton after, as you say, such a long time. Yeah. But it was it was it was agreed by everybody that perhaps uh, change was needed. I had a year left in my contract, and and the chairman wanted me to sign a, a new three year deal. I didn't want to sign it because I'd been there for so long. I had one year left, and I was happy to see that out. But I could understand the complications because I was asking the club to sign players on three or four year contracts. Then I might not have been around, and and also the players are saying. You know, how long you got left? And, oh, if I sign for Charlton, you might not be around. You know, so I understood the, the situation. Yeah. But I was happy to do the year. But as we was discussing it, it was a Friday afternoon, we was discussing it, and it sort of turned out by, by about five o'clock I was leaving. And, 
Did you go in there with the intention to leave? No, just I went of... in there because uh, I was a bit frustrated. I wanted to sign someone. Can you say who that is now? Steve Sibyl. Okay. Um, and obstacles were being put in the way, so so I decided that you know as we was talking, and I understood it. You know that that if if I took a player in, spent millions on him, and and then left, you know it's gonna be a, it'd be a problem. So. Uh, no, I understood that, and it was agreed. So we was playing Blackburn the next day at home, and then it was announced. Uh, and then the last game, always seemed to be the last game, went to Old Trafford, always seemed to be the last game for me. <laughs> we went to Old Trafford and got wallop 4-0, and uh, that was it. That was the end of that. And um, it's interesting, because when I went to Charlton and then was the manager, I was forever getting told, because all the fans are old, that was all yeah. old, you know. I was forever getting told about the biggest crowds, 70,000 against Villa, 72,000 against our FA Cup games, whatever. Yeah. And I went, it ain't the biggest crowd that's ever been at the Valley. It was the Who in 74. <laughs> <laughs> 80,000. Right? 80,000, because I was there. And, uh, oh, OK, yeah. And wow. that would have been a Kerbishly production, no? It was. Wow. With Brother Bill, yeah. yeah. So were you at the side of the stage, or were you...? Selling badges. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Who badges? <laughs> Who badges, who badges, 10 pence. How, we were going to come to this, but let's start with How did your brother start? Uh, how did your brother Well, he went to school with um, Chris Stamp. Right. Who is Terence Stamp's brother. Right. And Chris Stamp and Kit Lambert found the who. Yeah. And we turned up on a Saturday morning at the valley. First time I've ever been there. And there was people camping out in people's gardens. You know, they'd come overnight and just pitched the tent in people's gardens. And... Um, we had passes go everywhere, and that was 73, 74. So I was then going to West Ham's apprentice, and I earned more in a day selling badges than I did in a month being an apprentice. <laughs> so <laughs> if football hadn't got in the way, you'd be next door now doing the rock podcast. <laughs> I probably, yeah. I probably would have been involved in it, yeah. yeah. But my brother took on Plant, Robert Plant. Um, He's a big Wolves fan, isn't big he? Big Wolves fan, yeah. So he took him on and said, would you come out to America for yeah. a week? It was close season. So I went, oh, what, what do you want me to do? So I just want you to come out there and just, like, talk fucking football or whatever. <laughs> so I went out there. What year is this? 88. So just, just kind of after live So aid. I went to New York. Yeah. And uh, Planty was there. So if you wanted to contact Robert Plant you had, at the hotel, you had to ask for Steve Ball. <laughs> <laughs> and and all, the, all, the, all the laminates were the Wolves logo. <laughs> he's like president, and he's like president or something. There must have been a time where Steve Ball was staying in the same hotel as Robert Plant. No, and there was <laughs> confusion. Group, groupies appearing at no. his door. That's, no. who, that's who Bobby Robson wanted to call up for the 1990 World Cup. He wanted yeah. Robert Plant. Yeah, he wanted Plant. Yeah. There might yeah. be some groupies turning up for Steve Ball instead of Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah. No, interesting two weeks. I had to come back to start pre-season. <laughs> I was supposed to be in there for a week, and then he said, "Like, stay another week." <laughs> Thanks to Play With A Legend for organising our guest, Alan Kerbishley, today. Play With A Legend is the home of former footballers, and whether you're looking to have a match alongside one of your heroes, organise a speaker for an after-dinner event, or even arrange a legend to work with your brand, get in touch with their team via playwithalegend.com to make it happen.
We, I was, we were researching this interview and we were looking at um, Charlton's kind of league performance. There's this graph that shows where they finished in every league over the last kind of 100 years. And the period you, you were in charge, sole charge, through to when you left, the line on the graph goes to the top and stays at the top. You leave in 2006 and it drops down again. And then you look at your performances at West Ham. I mean, you must be so proud of your achievements. It's remarkable what you've achieved in your career as a I th- manager. I think that when I was at Charlton, I always thought it was going to be a long-term job. Got know, 15 years. No, no, not that long, obviously. But, <laughs> but I thought we was, was building something because when we, when I took took the club on with Stevie Grit, we was at Upton Park, which suited me. I didn't have to go for that Blackwood Tunnel every day. <laughs> you know, but you, you know, were there on your own campaign not to move no, back no, to the Valley. Yeah, I was, I was happy to stay at Upton Park, but uh, you know, it, it was only supposed to be for six months, and it ended up being like nearly 18 months. And then with the backing of the fans and, and the directors and the chairman at the time put their money in and, and we sold Robert Lee to Newcastle and Anthony Barnes to Chelsea, we got back to the Valley. You know, so the Valley, we went back to two sides. We had uh, temporary golf stands. That was our stands. And, and in the summer, they went off to the Open. <laughs> so, so that's how it was. And then they come back after the Open. You know, so, uh, we, you know, we slowly but surely built the club. So what yeah. kind of state was Charlton in when you took over then? Selling, selling hand-to-mouth, really. It was hand-to-mouth. You know, when we sold Robert Lee to Newcastle... I remember saying to Kevin Keegan family, I said, look, we fancy Robert Lee. And I, Does it literally work like that? We never had then. a Premier League manager. It did. No, this was... So he this rings was, you up. This was a championship at yeah, the time. Yeah. And I knew Kevin. He said, look, I'm really, I'm interested in Robert Lee. And the club agreed a fee, which I didn't think was good enough. So when he came on to me and had a chat, I said, look, at least give us something for an England cap. And he went, no, 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 we're not going to get anything for an England cap. And of course, Robert went on and played for England and, and, and whatever. But we were second at the time and we sold our best player. Who were to Newcastle, who were top. You know, so that's how it was. You yeah. know? So Anthony Barnes, so Robert went for seven fifth. I think Anthony Barnes went for 300 to Chelsea, young player, great potential. And that million pound, that got us back to the Valley. Yeah. And what happened, basically, we've been away for seven years and, and set, all the seven-year-olds, if you like, were now 14, supporting all other clubs. Yeah. Right. Right? yeah. So we lost a generation of fans, if we, if we had a generation of fans, but we lost a generation of fans so it was all it was all about building it all up again yeah and as you say i am proud that that when i left this 29,000 all seat stadium uh, sold out every week premier league and uh, you know so it was great you know it was a great great journey great adventure but i always thought it was a long term um whereas i don't think managers now i think managers sign for uh premier league clubs and i think they think it's like 18 months to two years maybe three i think that's the foreign managers, probably. That's the foreign managers' uh, take on it. I think the British managers, it's a little bit different. I think Sean Dyche, Chrissy, Chrissy Wilder, uh, Eddie Howe, even Brendan Rodgers now, it's gone into Leicester. I think they, they think, you know what, I'm here for a couple of years, and this, it drastically goes wrong, and it's a chance to build something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you started at Charlton, you were joint managers with Steve yeah, Grit. Steve Grit, yeah. Which is a very rare thing. Well, it's all the it's rage now. now. I was going to oh, say, right, it's, there's a couple now, isn't there? You've got there? the Cowley well, brothers. And yeah, how, does it, how does it work in that well, situation? Well, it was called Tweedledee and Tweedledum at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't telling you who was who. But um, I was, I was um, player, first-team coach for Lenny Lawrence. I left, yeah. I left Charlton, went to Brighton, then went back to Charlton as a player. Player coach for the... Uh, I originally went there for the reserves. Player coach for the reserves. Stevie Gibb was a player. And then uh, Lenny had a bust-up with his first-team coach. He left, he promoted me, and then promoted Steve to reserve-team coach. 
And then that summer, Lenny left and went to Middlesbrough. And me and Steve were just left holding the baby, really. And, yeah. and the club was in financial turmoil. We was leaving Sellers Park, supposed to be going to Upton Park. There was no money. You know, that, that's why we got the job, basically, because yeah. we was under contract as players still, so we couldn't be sacked. So the club had to either bring someone in above us or they gave us the job. And, yeah. and that's what they did. They gave us the job. As I say, that year at Upton Park should have only been three or four months, end up 18 months, but we finished seventh in yeah. the championship, which was, f- and yeah. we blew up, blew up the last week. We should have got in the playoffs. Blackburn got in with Kenny Dalglish and they went up, but we should have got, we should have been in it. And then the following season, we were second when we sold Robert and whatever to get us back to the Valley. So we'd done a fantastic job, but yeah. you know, it went for four years until the, the chairman decided that he got a little bit fed up phoning up in the morning and perhaps talking to me and then phone up later and then talking to Steve and getting a different angle or yeah, story. Yeah. So we had to be very careful that we got our stories right, me and Steve. We agreed that we'd do two after-match press conferences so that we'd done a home and away one each. So yeah. it wasn't that perhaps I got all the home games where we got more chance of winning. <laughs> you know, so like you come out happy and, and, and Steve would do all the away games where you don't win so many. <laughs> so so we, we worked all that out and um, and then the chairman decided after four years he wanted to make a change, decided to, to pick me. And, and how uh, did it do with like team talks and stuff? Did you... Yeah, we, we took turns, you know, and, and, and what happened? We had a few battles in our room on team yeah. selection and whatever, but decided that whatever we decided on, that was it. Back it 100%. Back it 100% and, and yeah. not I told you so or anything like that. It was like agreed. It worked for us. Yeah. Uh, and I was very, very grateful um, that it did because that was the springboard for me to, to go on. It must be a tremendous strain on a relationship. Are you, are you still friends now? or? Yeah, uh, but when the chairman made his decision, I said, Look, I want to tell Steve. And it was really difficult, oh. you know, and, and I met him at the Valley. Oh. And I said, look, this is what's happened. You know, the chairman has phoned me. And to be honest, if I don't take it, he's going to get someone else. That's what he said to me. Someone else was going to come in from outside. Oh. So I was left in a real difficult position. But I had to get on with it because you don't, in football, you've got to be very lucky to get the job in the first place. Mm. And so, you know, I had to take it. And we wanted to ask about being a player manager as well. That's a really strange dynamic because you're out there on the park. Do you ever? Did you ever sub yourself off? <laughs> sub myself on? <laughs> <laughs> Were you going to Steve Grip? I think I need to come well, on this, play, this is Do crying you know out for me. <laughs> we were both player, player coaches and the first game back at the Valley against Portsmouth, we put Steve in the team yeah. to the dismay of Alan Pardew, who was like, <laughs> really... And he still ain't forgot it. Um, the biggest thing we had, and it's a bit like the young boys now, like Stephen Gerrard and Frank and that, they could demonstrate. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like in training, yeah. no, no, this is what I want. And yeah. actually be able to do it still. Yeah. yeah Whereas yeah. Like you get to 45, 50 and you can't. You know? <laughs> so actually to be able to demonstrate. So, so I think in some respects it was easier for us to be player managers, player coaches to take the job on and actually just being a, an out-and-out coach or out-and-out manager because we had the respect to the players because we're still one of them. And as it, I say, we could join in and they, appre- yeah. they, they, they appreciate that we could still play. Is it bit. weird coming in, so one day you come in you're a player, the next day you come in you're the boss? Is there a weird kind of to change well, that when, dynamic? Well, when we changed, when I took on the job, 
you know, on my own, that, that changed that. Instead of calling me uh, Curbs, there had to be a little bit of different. You Sir know. Curbs. Yeah, <laughs> Sir Curbs. And uh, no, it, was, it, it had to change. Um, we're fascinated by, there's so many aspects of being a manager that we wanted to know about. The first, the first thing is like training. What, what would be your classic training style at the height of Charlton? Did you get involved yourself? Or yeah, you no, I, all the training. But I think if you ask a lot of the Charlton players at the time, we train like we played. If it wasn't right, if the tempo wasn't right, it got stopped. And um, you boys better have a think about this because this ain't good enough. You know, so we'll have a little break for five minutes and then we're back in. And are you doing training yourself all the time? Well, when Steve left, I brought in Les Reed from the FA, who's now the head of the FA. I brought him as the first team coach. But did it ever boot off in training? If you're playing at a really high intensity, yeah. is it like, are you in there like the and pulling it, players apart? It always boots off in training. From when I was, when I was a, an apprentice at West Ham, so there was a proper kick-off at West Ham. I can't tell you about it, but it was a <laughs> proper kick-off. And um, then I went to, to Birmingham and it kicked off quite a bit. <laughs> Are you the are you the problem? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Listen, I, I was a lover, not a fighter. I was, I was on the outside of it, and when I went to Villa, it was a classic kickoff there. So it always happens. Do you do you actually want that as a manager though, or would you rather? No, everyone because got on? because I had a real real um, I had a real problem at uh, Charlton, and a lot of the Charlton fans I know about this one. It ended up that a player had to leave. I had to, I had to let the player go, and I had to keep the other one. I had to make a decision and. Um, you know, at the time it was it was it was difficult, but it kicked off in training, and uh, you know it didn't end there. So, you know, how, how like, did it get out? How did people find out? Did you have one of them had a broken nose? That's how it got out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, but it happens well, every day when you're with the same players, and there's a hangover from something, perhaps the game at the weekend, or something's happened in training, or something continually been happening in training, and that's what that fracas was about. Apparently, it was continually happening happening and uh, I regret I didn't quite see it until until it kicked off I get the old school way of handling that I imagine would have been you two room together was it was there any way of like or was this too deep a rift no, 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 this was a this was too deep this one at, yeah, yeah. Charlton this one would never have healed no yeah. and there was a split and uh, you know I had a couple of players come and see me and go oh please don't you know and a couple of players going oh please don't do that go that way so it was a difficult time, oh. but the, the, you know, were you tempted to get rid of both of them? Were they were they important first team players? Both first team players. Really? It happened on a, a Monday afternoon, and we were playing Villa on a Tuesday, and both players couldn't play. Fly me. What's quite interesting to the people outside of football is training feels very like normal to you, like in the sense of you know what's going on. Like match days, for instance, we have no idea what the day involves for a manager. What would be your day as a manager? Well, it depends. It, it does depend how you're doing. Yeah, you know uh, the results, etc. Uh, you know if you're going well, you can ease through it. So, so match day, especially at home, home games now, certainly in the Premier League, the teams go away on a Friday night. Yeah, like the home team goes away on a Friday night yeah. to a hotel. Would you have done that in your day? No, 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 not because of the cost or anything like that. Because I didn't didn't think it was right. You know, they spend enough time away, and I like them to have to have eaten at their homes and be nice and relaxed and turn up about half past one. At the ground God, for a three o'clock kickoff. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's just not a lot of room for error there. We've done all the work all week. Yeah, but no. I'm thinking about traffic. <laughs> well, that's down to them. <laughs> you know, they'd have to leave early enough. But yeah, no, London. no, no. What I used to do is my training would be on a Monday. Obviously, get over the weekend, mm. but you're planning for the week, and that would be quite light-hearted. Tuesday, trying to integrate some of the things that we'd be up against at the weekend, or we'd like to improve on on the weekend. 
Most clubs would have the Wednesday off. Yeah. And Thursday, I would announce the team. How would you do that? You'd set them all together? Yeah, or... get, them, yeah get them out onto the pitch. And if I've had to have dropped anybody, I would have got them in before training. And, uh, you know, so this is the decision I've made and, you know, this is why I've done it, blah, blah, blah. And they knew that if they didn't get over it by the Friday, they wouldn't be involved. So I'd done it on the Thursday so that if anyone was really upset about being left out, if they were still moping around on Friday, then... You're gone. That, that, you know, I'm not going to... You know, I don't want no mopers. Um, <laughs> very rarely, I would never name the team like a lot of the managers are past one on a Saturday. Yeah. Did you ever do that, though? No. Ever anything, if you've got injuries and you're having yeah. a fitness test and that, but I'd always let my team know what the team was Thursday morning. So we train Thursday, all about us, and then come in Friday and try and have a light-hearted session, talk a little bit about the opposition, go through some video stuff and etc. And if we're travelling away, we're travelling away. And if not, they go home, they can rest up, make sure they're in there for one o'clock, you know, yeah. for past one meeting. Talk a little bit about them, what they're the expected team. And then if there's any changes, then once the team comes in at quarter to two or whatever it is now, bang, there's, this is who we're playing against. Right, we fancy our chances against them. Let's, let's really like push it, that, that side of the defence. And I, I would like to think some of them complain that was too, too well prepared, if you like. And, um, but I always like to, like to be as far as I could. And uh, that's the way I've done it. And very rarely would I name a team at, three, you know, at half past one. Or things like that. Yeah. And with the opposition stuff, so do you do like a motivational team talk yeah, yeah. where you're like, yes. Yeah. Uh, you're kicking sandwiches at that, that No, one? no, but, but I'll pass one. Sometimes, let me tell you, sometimes when you're <laughs> perhaps at Old Trafford and you've just got the team and you're writing the team up and you can feel them going, oh, he's playing. Oh, okay, Rooney's playing, Ronaldo's playing. <laughs> I always remember when I was at Birmingham, Ron Saunders came there as manager from Villa. And uh, he came after going into the ref with a captain. He come in, and uh, he he went oh. put a team in the corner. He went, yeah. forget them, you know, forget them. It's all about us today. And I remember Dave Lang and a fullback. As soon as Ron left the room, run over there to have a look at who's playing against. <laughs> you know, because he didn't even announce the team. Ron Saunders, <laughs> who we were playing against. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and it's quite interesting. Some of the things you pick up. Yeah. You know. But uh, would you ever do those big gestures like that? Think I'm going to need to do something. I must admit, when you, if if he was playing now, if I was managing now and uh, sort of writing up the Liverpool team <laughs> or the or, or, or the Man City team, you know, you could feel perhaps one or two of them at the back going, "Oh, cool, we ain't playing," <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where we was at at the time, yeah. Charlton, etc. Yeah. You can feel it, couldn't you? You know, like yeah. uh, gigs. Oh, then you look around at your right back and you think, oh, this will be a bit difficult today. <laughs> There's stories of Bobby Charlton when he was a br- briefly a manager. He would get the opposition team sheet and be shaking sometimes with fear. <laughs> at, like some of the names are like classic nah, stories. The, the only fear I had at the time was, was spelling their names right. <laughs> and I used, to get, get that, I used to get some of them foreign names wrong. Yeah. Well, do with Trescu. I mean, yeah. Or Paolo or something like that. I love that, the fact you wrote it up like it was like a slow yeah, reveal. Yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. used to write it up, but, you know, it, it was the way it was done then. And um, and then, the, so, yeah, it would be at two or whatever, and then the players would go out and they'd warm up. Oh, so it would be great when they used to go out and warm up. So what do you do about when they're 25 up? past two to go out and what? Turn the bloody music off. <laughs> <laughs> get some who on. Oh, God. God. <laughs> well, every now and then, it, you know, one of them would go, this is my turn. God, and that would go on and... Me and Stevie Grit, or me and Les Ray, were sitting there going, I can't wait for them to go out. 
turn, turn that off and have a bit of peace and quiet. They've all got their own stuff, haven't they? You know, and they want to listen to it and they feel good, etc. So what are you doing when they're out, just relaxing? Yeah, just like, have, a, have a cup of tea. I used to go out and sometimes go and watch a, a little bit of it, but uh, or have a look at the opposition, go and have a look at one or two of them. And, um, you know, but not, not too much. And get a feel for the stadium. How, how are you for nerves? Because Pat Guardiola apparently can't eat on a match day. Can he? No, no, I was all right. And he wins every game. I was all right, yeah. Uh, one thing I did do, I used to sit upstairs for the first half, oh, which yeah. was easy at the Valley because you could just run down. Yeah. If, yeah. It, if it was going wrong, you could just like open the gate and just run down. Do you have a phone or a Bluetooth headset or anything like that? No. No? No. Uh, sometimes in away games, if you want it to sit upstairs, then you can't get down, especially Old Trafford. You've got to go through the boxes and the restaurants and then come out of that. <laughs> You've missed 20 that, minutes, by the time. Yeah, that's it. You couldn't walk down. So. Come out in the away enclosure by yeah, the yeah. stadium. Yeah. <laughs> get lost. <laughs> walk around. It's all locked up. But, uh, no, no. It, you know, but I used to sit upstairs and I, used, I think they used to help me. And I'm saying to some of them now, that some of the managers, like Lee Bowie at Charlton at the moment, that's sit upstairs for the first half and just... See what's going on. Is that why? I've always wondered that. Is it so you get a better view of the pitch? Well, it's... yeah, a better view of the pitch. Also, look, the right back's just been done for a goal, but it might have been all his fault. Yeah. It might have started somewhere else, and yeah. and uh, he's done this and overcovered. So I used to sit upstairs for the first half and then come down, let the players go in, talk to talk to my coaches. Have I seen this right? Yeah. You know, have I seen it? Because I'm going to go in and kill him in a minute, <laughs> right? Or this one or that one. Have I have I got it right? Well, might, you might be a bit harsh, you know, whatever, whatever. Or I don't think he can he could take a, bo- a bollock in if you like now or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I used to discuss what the plan was because you don't want to go in there and then oh, this is half time. Half time. Don't yeah, want to go yeah. in there ranting and raving and you've got it wrong, uh, mistaken identity or something or <laughs> someone else's fault or, or you you having to go at someone who can't handle it. You know, you want to make sure you got it right and it's to the point. You don't want to be ranting and raving for fifteen minutes or ten minutes. You know, you want yeah. to get your point across, see the reaction, but also find out before you've gone in there if everybody's still fit. Because the last thing you want to do is go in there and go bang, 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 and he's got to come off because he's injured. <laughs> or, you know, or I want you to do this the second half, but he's injured. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. calm down, make sure you've got, got your story right of what you want to do, and then, then go in there. And listen, uh, we've had plenty of bust-ups. We've all had them, you know, and... Uh, you know, we've all thrown a few teacups and that sort of thing. But in general, if you carry on doing that all the time, you're not going to get nothing nothing done. Yeah. You know, you sometimes you've got to be angry. Sometimes you've got to be not so angry. Sometimes the players are waiting for it and they don't get it. And perhaps they might complain about that, you know. Or so-and-so should have got it and he didn't get it. But in the end, I think that players have got to realise that, you, that you're honest. And whatever you're doing is for the right reasons. You know, yeah. there's no agenda. With I've, the, sorry, going up. Being upstairs because I've always thought because you know when you go to a match and you get a seat and it's like at the level of the dugout I think yeah. I can't see a thing here you can't see you and, can't see I mean, it properly I, I sometimes I don't understand there. how Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp or whatever's thinking that player's out of position over yeah. on the other side I, you just can't see yeah anything. or something's happened at ground level and you can't quite see that perhaps someone's let their man go or yeah. you know something so quick. But when you're sitting up there, you can you can see that oh the midfield players let his man go, but he didn't let him go. He passed him on to the other midfield. He's let him go. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And and you, you can't have a, a rant and rave at, at the wrong person. I go up there for the second half sometimes. Um, Do, and you miss out then on being able to shout from the dugout. But does that achieve anything? Oh, sometimes yeah. Sometimes I always remember Arsene Wenger saying to me um, very early on, 
I said to him, you're so calm and uh, you're this and that. And he went, well, let me tell you, this was early days at Arsenal. He said, let me tell you, if I'm ranting and raving on the touchline, what does that do to the players? Yeah. You know, if I'm asking them to be calm and collected and et cetera. So, so I, was, I got sent off as well at South End when I was uh, early on. And I, What did you do? I swore at the linesman, swore at the ref, <laughs> got sent up, sent upstairs and David Webb was the manager at South End. And, as, and I don't know if you've ever been to South End, but to get to the director's box, you've got to walk through a bar, a bar <laughs> area. So I'm, as I'm walking through the bar area, David Webb's standing there, went, what are you doing? And I went, oh, what are you doing? I said, I oh, know, Dave, I oh, know, I oh, know. He said, you're going to get fined now, aren't you? I went, yeah. He went, have half. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? So he went behind the little bar and poured a, poured a mouthful of beer. This went, is the, the match is going yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to get into the director's box to watch it. He went, have half, so he poured, poured out a glass of beer. I had a cut of mouthfuls, then we sat down and watched the game. And I never got sent off again. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about half-time. So, we've seen there's a few um, sporting documentaries now, and you see Guardiola at half-time. And I wondered, to what extent is that half-time team talk a bit of an act? Like, you're playing a role, you know, you, you, yeah. you're giving yourself over to something else to kind of get your point across. Is, is it natural, or are, is it a bit performance? It's a bit of both, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a bit of both, but you you can't you can't go in every week with the same act, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it ain't gonna work, yeah. you know. And uh, you have to get to the point. And you know, I think that you know sometimes you got to come in and you got to make a big tactical decision, like you're off, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, and whatever. And you've also heard, look, I'm giving you all ten minutes because I could bring five or six you off. I'm giving you ten minutes because two at least two years are going to come off if you don't change. I think sometimes you've got to appreciate this that I don't think all the managers can claim this, but you're going to get answered back. Yeah. How do you react to that? Did you like getting answered back to sometimes? No, not, or... not particularly, yeah. but, but you could get answered back, especially nowadays. You can imagine someone on 250 grand a week answering you back. <laughs> uh, you know, you how are you going to hurt them? <laughs> oh, you're not playing next week. You know, it ain't going to work, is it? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's ways and, and things. I think it's all about the respect. I mean, sometimes you're winning and you go in and you have a bit of a rant. You know, ain't always like... Uh, and is that an act? Do you come in like, I'm actually happy we're 2-0 up, but I'm going to have a go at them to keep them on yeah, their Yeah, because you could have been quite lucky to be 2-0 or, or someone's struggling. And if you don't liven up, it ain't going to be 2 naught for too long. You know, so yeah. you've, got, you've got to get your point across. But as I say, it's no good ranting and raving for 10 minutes and it all goes over their heads. And tell us, so after the match... You've won four nil. Great performance. <laughs> what what's your team talk? What do you you slapping players on the back as they come into the room, changing room? Or? Well, I think you have to let it to calm down for a little while. Yeah, you know, and sometimes you you know you go to them, listen, calm down, right? Fantastic and and whatever, but blah 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 blah. We have got a game on Tuesday, you know. So it's so, next game. Yeah. Next game. I mean, I used at Charlton doing doing fantastically well, but by the time I'd got out of the ground and got through the Blackwood Tunnel, I was thinking about the next game. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. perhaps the injuries I've took, and can I get someone in, or can we do this, and can we do that? And you know, it was like sort of full on. And that was the thing I think that if any young manager wanted to speak to me about anything, I would say to him, don't get too carried away with your wins, and don't get too down with your defeats. You've got to be there. But unfortunately, as managers, you don't enjoy the wins enough, yeah, yeah. and the despair of losing is far greater. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a strange thing. You linger on yeah. the downside too much and you don't enjoy the good side. Yeah, mm. I can imagine. It's, you must feel, even at Charlton when you've got 15 years, 
Is it difficult not to feel pressure that your job is constantly kind of? Yeah, I remember. I remember over that fifteen years, one of the chairman at the time come up, come up to me after a game and went, "The natives are getting restless." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, that's, that's a, that, well, it's better than a yeah. vote of confidence. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "I know." I said, "I know they effing up." <laughs> How about bringing bringing a couple of players in? Yeah. <laughs> like, but like, I think I think when a manager's under pressure, it's up to him. You know, going into ball meetings, um, in the press, with the players, you know, yeah. being upbeat and positive, and and you know, aggressive about it, and and you know, this ain't you know, this is all right. We'll get out of this, you know. And I, I did tell a story that when I went to West Ham, I mean, went to West Ham, and the first game we beat May United one 0 Second game we drew at Fulham. And I thought, cool, this ain't bad. <laughs> and then we went on five games without winning or six games without winning and getting, getting walloped a couple of times. And I remember pulling over in the petrol station, going into the training ground, and I got as I've paid and I'm coming back to the car, I've got this big guy coming over. And he's coming over to me, and I know he's going to get me. And he's going, you all right? And I've gone, yeah, 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 yeah. We're in a bit of trouble, aren't we? <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he went, well, effing sold it out. Right? <laughs> and sort of pushed me a little bit. <gasps> so I've got into, uh, I've gone into the training ground and moving day and Glenn Snodding all sitting there. I said, listen, this has just happened. I said, this is a, no this, this is no disrespect, but I said, this is the difference at, at the moment, what we're in now, than where we were. I said, because if it had been at Charlton, the guy would have gone to me, you right, Curbs? And I'd have gone, yeah, not bad. We're struggling a bit at the moment, aren't we? And I'd have gone, yeah, yeah. It'd be all right. <laughs> you know, and that was the difference of, of where I was at at Charlton because of yeah. the confidence. Yeah. yeah. And what was going on at the time at West Ham. And, uh, you know, that that gave me a different perspective on what yeah. was going on a little yeah. bit. And one ritual post-match is to have a glass of wine with the opposition yeah. manager. Who were your favourite ones to share a glass of wine with? And are there any grounds you always love, like, having well, a... Yeah, I'm not being disrespectful here, but it's the British managers. Yeah, yeah. Because the foreign manager didn't really endear himself to it. I can imagine Wenger p- pulling out a nice Chardonnay or... <laughs> no, no? no, no, no. I used to go, in, used to go into the dress room at Ivory and that. Pat Rice used to be hosting the room. And uh, perhaps Arsenal never came came into the room. Really, but as as the Premier League become bigger and bigger, and the, the time demands on the managers after a game. Yeah. So so you you'd finish a game, and if you was the manager, you'd get in doing the press first. Then you could be doing it for twenty, thirty minutes. You know, you'd be doing Sky, BT, I, you know, BBC Radio, Radio This, Radio That. Your the club website. This, this, this. And then the other manager's following you around and then you get into your room and they're going, well, we've got, a, especially if it's uh, a team that's flown, yeah. like, say, from Manchester or Sunderland or whatever, they've got a plane at six o'clock, you know, to get them back yeah. or whatever. So it, it, was, it became more and more difficult for the managers to have a drink. And in the early days, it was an opportunity to have a chat with a manager and sort of saying, you know, what are you doing? What's happening with him? You know, what's happening with Josh? You know, yeah. you know, what are you doing with him? Or we really fancy him? And you yeah. know, do you fancy anyone? You know, can have a little yeah, chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do like a bit that. of business. Do a bit of business. But it's, it's obviously changed now. But when I was managing, very rarely did I come in. I think Joe Julia took it on board a little bit and came in. And um, you know, Jose came in. But you know what? They mostly won. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, like everyone talks about everyone talks about the nice glass of wine at Old Trafford. Well, yeah, they just beat you. You know what I mean? It's always nice. Was it ever? Was it ever like when you'd lost and you go, I just don't want to sit there with somebody just beating me four 0 or No, away. no, you have to. You have to, yeah. and, and, and it's, all, it's all part of it. Was but, Fergie fun to have a drink with? Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about that. You know, you get a nice glass of wine there, but as I say, it's it always a happy room because <laughs> I very rarely got beat Old Trafford. But I remember beating Arsenal 4-2 at Highbury and Clash Jensen scored a fantastic goal where he chipped Richard Wright, hit the post and went in. We beat him 4-2. Yeah. So I've gone in the room afterwards looking for Arson and he's nowhere to be bloody <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, like, all the times I've come in here, Pat went, Pat went have, a, have, a car, have a beer and begrudgingly poured it out, you know, whatever. But my, my, all the Charlton fans remind me, especially my big pal John Hayes, he reminds me, big Charlton fan, he reminds me that I went 13 games uh, at Charlton without winning against uh, Man U. Then I go to West Ham and win three on the spin. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, you know, it is a lot better yeah. when you won. But what was be... Fergie like if you'd beaten him then for a drink? Actually, actually, he was good. Yeah, really? You know, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think it, but um... what would you serve at the valley? What was your, what would you serve in, in your office? I'll or? tell you. This is a story that uh, Sam told me that. Um, no, we just served. You, you know, you can't. I've heard managers go and buy special bottles, at, like yeah, you know, more than your standard like. Jacobs Creek. Or no, you stand a Valley Valley yeah. Red or Valley. <laughs> but uh, at West Ham, Sam went and got a proper bottle of wine or something because I think it was Fergie's birthday during the week. And when he's come in, he's walked into Alec and gone like, "How's the wine?" And it's all right. So no, 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 how's the wine? He went, "No, no, no, it's, it's all right." So he's looked at Jimmy, the guy who used to run the run the room there, and he's gone waving his hands. Something's happened to Sam's bottle of wine. Now Sam's took the bottle of wine in. Before the game, I said to Jimmy, "Open this up at, as we as the teams go out, and make sure Fergie gets the first class." So he's looked at Jim, and Jim's gone like that, and he's got a bottle of West Ham Red, you know, <laughs> with, with the Amma sign on it. Or something like that. <laughs> Apparently, someone pinched the bottle of wine; right? it's gone missing. So, uh, big inquest uh, where the bottle of wine's gone afterwards. After the inquest, what apparently happened is, is the two older ladies who used to bring in the sandwiches and the tea and whatever came in at just after three and the teams had gone out, walked around the room, saw this dusty bottle of red wine and tipped it down the sink. <laughs> <laughs> and said, that we can't, That's all old, we can't like serve this, let old. me tell you. <laughs> the price of the wine was nearly four figures. <laughs> but no, it, it, obviously everyone talks about it with Alec but I think that the time now where you could stay there and enjoy it quite a bit has gone because you're forever catching planes I mean I heard that some clubs fly from London to Norwich really? you know come Arsenal on to, yeah By, you know, like the end of the a, runway I know catching a plane you know like so crazy isn't it wow. so they don't actually spend that amount of time and I don't know about the, the camaraderie now between the managers and you know yeah. if a manager was struggling you'd phone him up and say if you thought you'd phone him up and say, well, you know, yeah, if you, if you thought about doing this, you know, yeah, really? be, yeah, because you're all in it together. We're not going to offer them something that's going to be detrimental, but you know, phone them up and say, you know, keep going, or, you know, or whatever. I know yeah. you're under pressure, and you know, etc., etc. You, you you turn it around next week and that sort of stuff. Did you ever feel bad when you were like beating a mate? Who was oh no, I've, I've had quite a few managers sacked after being beaten by Charlton. Perhaps it's because they've been beat by Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of them been sacked, but you know, Kenny Dalglish was one. I think. I think he got beat. We beat him. Newcastle got beat, and I think he went the next week, and one or two others. But do you call him up after? Yes, yeah, sorry about that. 
Not really, but, you know, you know that the pressure these managers are under. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, it can change dramatically, you know, three or four games, especially now. I think all the managers know what the other managers, the pressure they're under. We was looking at your league finishes at Charlton between 2000 and 2006. 9th, 14th, 12th, 7th, 11th, 16th. All kind of comfortable mid-table. Did it feel comfortable? Did well, you kind of miss the excitement of a relegation? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was the big criticism of yeah. me, that, that for some reason we tailed off. You know, and I can understand the players because it was, it was all geared to staying up. So I can understand the players getting the 40 points around about February, March and sign a big... Side so relief that next year they're going to be Premier League player, what that brings, and perhaps tail off a bit. But we didn't tail off management, coaches. We never tailed off. We was as hard on them as as, as possible. But results suggested we did. It's probably just a psychological thing that Absolutely. once you feel comfortable. Absolutely, and, I, and I'm looking at what goes on, goes on now. The clubs that finish fifth or sixth from bottom, they've done well to perhaps had a run to get out of trouble. But some of them are dropping in it and, you know, perhaps they've already got to that 40-point mark. And we couldn't put our finger on it. And there's only one year that I can say that I know the reason why. And that was um, 2007 where at Christmas we were fourth. Yeah. And we beat Chelsea 4-2 at the Valley Boxing Day. And I had a good side. You yeah. know, and, and I thought, well, we've got a little bit of a chance here. Europe, I, I don't know, but... And then Chelsea came in for Scott Parker. Yeah. Um, after that game, um, was that in the chat after the game? No, no. Did Ranieri didn't come in. I mean, they went. You know, he's one of them that went. Legged it. But um, the next day, a couple of days later, they bid for Scotty, and uh, you know, we had to let him go. Morally, yeah. we had to let him go. You know, but we wanted the fee, and uh, a proper fee, and it took two weeks to sort out. But it derailed us a little bit, and yeah. I couldn't spend the money. We took twelve million in, but I couldn't spend it because everyone knew I had twelve million. So, you know, <laughs> you don't want everyone shit. to know that, do you? <laughs> oh, you've just got twelve million. Oh, you're offering six for hours, but you know, so it derailed us, and we finished seventh. And that was our best ever finish. It's the best ever finish Charlton have ever had. But I think we were better than that. Yeah. Uh, but it derailed us a little bit, and uh, that was the year we had Di Canio. Yeah. Uh, which was what which was, was he like? Which to was manage? interesting. <laughs> well, it was interesting because I'm sitting indoors. And you get the, you get the PFA free transfer list comes through. Yeah. A couple of, couple of weeks after the season's finished, all the people are going to be released. And I'm looking at it, and I saw a Paolo on it, and I thought, oh, it's a Paolo, yeah. And then I looked at his, at his address, and he was around the corner. <laughs> right. Oh, he prints the address? He prints yeah, the, yeah. Players address. <laughs> the players' address? Why is that? Is he write to them? <laughs> well, you can contact them, oh, phone number, right, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I thought, Paolo. So I thought, I won't... I started thinking about it. I thought, I won't ask anyone, because they might put me off. And I didn't yeah. want to, you know, everyone knew what great player he is and et cetera, but the other things that come with it. So I thought about it for a couple of days. And I thought, God. So, so I drove round to his house. <laughs> what, unannounced? Unannounced, yeah. <laughs> and uh, pressed the bell and all that sort of stuff and there was no one there. So I put a note in his in his door. He must so, have thought someone was having a No, I put a note in the door saying, <laughs> Paolo, it's Alan Kirby, if you want to have a chat with me, please contact me. Yeah. And a day later, I got his agent on Oh, yeah, we'd love to meet you, blah, blah. We come back on Sunday. So um, we met him Sunday at his house. Uh, so I went armed with the chairman, the chief executive, and a European scout who could speak three or four languages. So we could yeah. get everything right. And we went in, met him, and uh, done the deal. There yeah. and then. Yeah. Was he a nice yeah. bloke? Yeah, great. We had him for a year. 
And yeah. um, as I say, finished seventh, and he's really proud that it's the best finish because he's part of it. Best finish, yeah. That he's into his history and all that sort of stuff. And and he's uh, if you ask anybody at the time, he's the best professional you've ever had. Really, in, term, really? in terms of fitness, the way he trained and the way he looked after himself. Yeah, was was a revelation to everybody, you know. And it was just a fitness. He trained too hard, yeah. And he ate the right food and all that sort of stuff. What people are doing now, and it had a big effect on the players. And I think he'd done something that would always be remembered at the Valley by the Charlton fans. Is I think we're we're losing one 0 to Arsenal, and uh, we get a penalty with about ten minutes to go, and there's only one person taking it, and uh, he's put it down, and uh, as he's running up. I'm thinking, I ain't seen him take a penalty. I ain't seen him take a penalty in training. <laughs> right, I know he's a penalty taker, but I ain't seen, I ain't really, I don't know what he's going to do. Anyway, he chipped Lehman. Lehman <laughs> dives and he just chipped it down the middle. Oh. And I don't think any Charlton player, past and present, would ever have done that. Right? <laughs> uh, and it was, and, Does your blood go cold when you see your strike? I think he's did. You know, like, bloody Charlton player chipping the keeper. <laughs> and, and Arsenal as well. Three header away by Gilberto. To be fair, when you look at that again, there's an awful lot of contact there. Paolo Di Canio is yet to score in the Premiership for Charlton Athletic. He has now! We had some good times with Paolo and yeah. I really enjoyed it. And then he went on to become a manager. And I bumped into him once. Different styles, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, Paolo. yeah. <laughs> pass, 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 pass. Yeah. So we was talking and I said, look, let me give you. Can I just give you one bit of advice, Paolo? Oh, 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 go on then, go on then. I said we've got an old, th- old English saying that uh, you know you must count to ten before you say anything. I said, and uh, I think in your case you count to twenty. So he's had a bit of a pop at me. Yeah, so. Did you see when he was at Swindon? He subbed the goalie after kind of twenty minutes. He'd had a howler. Had you ever yeah. done anything like that yourself in your career? Ever taken off? I've subbed like... the sub, which <laughs> I didn't. What I didn't really want to do. Yeah. You know, uh, but it backfired on me because the player didn't want to stay. But Why did you sub a sub? But because a terrible performance. No, no, yeah. Well, we, it was when we finished seventh. It was the last game of the season, and um, we had to beat Southampton to finish seventh. And uh, we was winning two one, and the last fifteen minutes was a bit scary. And I didn't think the player was. I didn't think the player realised or how important it was, you know, etc. And he wasn't really doing it, and he'd come on a sub, and I, I subbed him. And um, what was that like? As he walked yeah, off. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at you can all, you always feel the crowd if you sub subbed. You want to feel them go, oh, it's a yeah. big decision. Isn't no, it? no, no. I think I think the Charlton fans went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <come> <laughs> no, no. I think didn't you know, matter. No, no. no we, I had to apologise, yeah. obviously, but you know it was all about the result. I didn't do it because I didn't like the player doing something like that. It's not good, is it? Um, we've got to speak about. Um, the 98, the, the greatest game played at Wembley, arguably. The 4-4 with Sunderland in the playoff final and then you win on penalties. I mean, going up via the playoffs, that must have been the best, one of the best feelings of your managerial career. Well, I've known Peter Reid since we were, were 17, 18 in the England youth team together. And so that, so we, he's one of us, if you like. You know, Reid, he's good yeah. fun. And uh, I mean, that would never be forgotten that day. And, and, and I did feel that, and I spoke to Dave Bassett about this the other day because he was at Forest and they went up with Middlesbrough, I think, on 92 points. Well, we, we had 88. And 16 out of 17 years, that would have took you straight up. Oh. But I always felt that if we didn't go up that day, then I'd have lost half my team. Really? Yeah, because there was people circling. And I felt that 
we perhaps might not have recovered. And, and, and oh. I always felt Sunderland could. And they did. They bounced back. They came up the next year. Uh, but I knew that if we hadn't won, then what I'd have been in What was that like as a day, then, if you know that that's... Well, I, that went out the window, but, you know, it was all about the day. Yeah. But the way the day went, we got to the Wembley early. And we're all just sitting there. 125. <laughs> no, no, is, we've left the hotel and got it completely wrong, and we're sitting there. And I'll never forget, Wembley, they gave you someone to help you in the dressing room, like a guy, you know. Concierge. Yeah. And he was getting ice and drinks, but he, he was in the dressing room. Like, look, who are you? Like, <laughs> anyway, we're sitting there, and uh, we're sitting there, and I thought, you know what? We was a counter-attacking team. We had a bit of pace about us, and we like, didn't mind soaking up a bit of pressure. And, and Sunderland were quite offensive. Phillips and uh, Noel Quinn and uh, Summerby and whatever. And I thought, you know what? I think we've got Sunderland. Me personally, I thought we've got Sunderland where we wanted them yeah. a little bit. So I said to the players, you know, look, listen, if we can get through the first 10 minutes, this game's going to open up. And if it opens up, we've got to take advantage of this. Right? So if we end up getting penned in a little bit, when we break, we break. And we break with numbers. Except you two. That was Mark Kinsella and Keith Jones. You don't. You stay. Let yeah. the others go and, and whatever. And I think that's how it might yeah. fab them out. So we've walked walked around and got into the dugout and after five minutes we was 2-1 down. <laughs> <laughs> and all I could think about at the time was that old boy in the, in the, in the dress room was going, that was a team talk, wasn't it? <laughs> so, uh, so is he still in there for half-time as yeah, well? Yeah, he's in all the time. Wow, what a great job anyway, that we, is. we ended up, I don't know if, it was, if it's like that now, but we yeah. was 2-1 down, it went to 2-all, then 3-2, three, then 3-all. Yeah, and then oh. the penalties, and uh, I didn't know for some time. About about a year later, the last penalty was Sean Newton, and uh, we'd never seen Sean take a penalty. We'd never seen him take a free kick, to be honest. And <laughs> so, how do you I, select them? How well, do you no, select? you select the first five. Yeah, you give you them to the ref. It was Eddie Walsenham at the time, so we give me and Reedy give the first five. Then after that, they pick themselves, oh, God. right? And that was how it was at the time, and we're kicking at the Sunderland end. So. Apparently, Eddie Walsenholm said, well, you know, it's like 7 or whatever it was, 6 or." Eddie Walsenholm turned around to our boys and went, come then, who's next? And apparently Richard Roof has pushed Sean out. The- <laughs> 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 oh pushed him God. out. So he's pushed him out. <laughs> and when you see it, Sean, Sean jogs all the way, all the way to the penalty spot because I think he's, ner- yeah, he's yeah, nervous. Yeah. And he scores. So then the next one's uh, Mickey Gray. Yeah. And so Keith Peacock, one of the coaches, is sitting next to me. Keith Peacock says to me, don't look at this one. Don't look at it because he's a lefty. He's the only lefty yeah. he's going to miss. And I went, okay, oh, don't look at it, don't look at it. So I didn't look oh. at it. So I'm like that. Oh. And because I didn't hear the roar, because yeah. it was a Sunderland end, yeah. I knew he'd missed it. Michael Gray, born in Sunderland. Elliot just saved it! And Charlton... All promoted! And Sasa Illich, as he has been for three months, is the hero. Whoever would have thought it? Sasa Illich just won't want to go home. And that, that was game-changing for everybody. Yeah. Especially for the manager, because now you're a Premier League manager. But the club... And where we'd come from, having no ground. It gave the club the confidence to build another stand. Yeah. You know, so when when it all settled down and, uh, you know, we got back down to earth, the club decided that a third of the money would go on players, a third would go into the stadium, and a third would be for a rainy day. And um, 
we got relegated on the last game of the season. Rainy day. So the money was the next season. It enabled us to keep all the team together again. Yeah. We sold Danny Mills to Leeds, which was a good deal for everybody. It was, you know, big money. But we kept the team together and we could bring players in. We didn't have to let players go. Yeah. And we come straight back up. Early. Often the way with teams, because it's similar happened to Burnley with sticking with Sean. Like it doesn't happen. Went up yeah, one, but it doesn't happen down. often. No. No, it doesn't happen but often. But it feels like it's a good way of establishing yourself yeah, yeah. in the Premier League. Well, actually, Sean, Sean is the nearest thing to Charlton, I think. Burnley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've told him quite a few times. <laughs> You're stealing my act. They're the, near, they're the nearest to, to us. Well, the, the pinnacle for an English manager would be getting the England job. And in 2006, the rumour was you were leaving Charlton with one eye on England at the time, but you did get interviewed for the role. So we wondered, like, what what happened there? Did you get a phone call from the FA? How does it work? Well, that was, that was the time where I had a year left of the contract. And um, they asked the club if I could... Brian Barwick asked the club if... Um, I could go on an interview. And did they tell you what you well, need the, to do for that interview? Well, the, chair, the chairman said to me, look, they want to talk to you. But the first meeting is just going to be um, tea and biscuits, have a chat. Yeah. You know, nothing serious. This is us. You know, it's a... I remember meeting Brian at my brother's house. Is that because it has to be like a secret location? Or... Yeah, just have a cup of tea and yeah. have a chat and what you thought. And obviously we're interviewing other people. But the process now is going to be a, a proper interview with, with all the FA bods mm. and uh, we'd like you to present and what you think this and that and etc and that was it so so we're playing on the Sunday a live Sky game so on the Saturday I've gone with the European scout to Lille Saturday afternoon you could go to Lille or Lons watch a game and get back as we're driving back got a phone call uh, you're in the paper tomorrow what? you're in the paper being seen leaving your brother's house with Brian Barwick oh. the <gasps> FA chairman oh, oh, oh right okay and we're playing a live game at one o'clock, right, that day. Yeah. So I copped it all that day. You know, someone's phone had been hacked. Uh, it had to, uh, it's the only way oh, it was going to get... voicemail. Yeah. It's yeah. the only way it was going to get yeah. done. Anyway, it was out there, so I couldn't do anything about it. But obviously it overshadowed the game. Yeah. But when we had, the, had to have the full-blown interview, I couldn't go. We was playing a quarter-final the FA Cup replay, so I couldn't go to it. Uh, anyway, that was no secret because they all got caught going into somewhere in... Oxford, yeah, you know, yeah, Sam yeah. and whoever it was, and uh, Steve McLaren, etc. So then I had to have a sort of like a makeshift interview at the FA, yeah. uh, and I knew roughly, I knew then that, that, that I wasn't going to be anywhere near it. What was your presentation then? Your well, PowerPoint. What, well, the PowerPoint had to be what would you do for an international break for two weeks? Right. What, just one question? No, 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 no loads yeah, of yeah. things, you yeah, know. Yeah. But, but the main thing was how, what sort of build-up would you have? Obviously, they, the players play on a Saturday, some play on a Sunday. You know, when do you meet? You don't meet Saturday night, so the players are hanging around all day Sunday waiting for the others to turn up and them sort of things. Mm. What sort of training? Players have played on the Sunday, you've got to have Monday off. The players that played on the Saturday perhaps can train. Yeah. You know, and you've only got uh, four or five days to get the training into them what you want. But I always thought that the, the England job or national job, the one major difference is the players should all turn up enthusiastic. Yeah. And wanting to play. Yeah. And there's no rows. There's no one knocking on your door. Why not playing? Yeah. Or, you know, if you leave someone out, or my agent will be on soon, you know, <laughs> and uh, I want to get away. Yeah. You know, that, I always thought it, it was a different, completely different role. And to be fair, I went through the process, but I knew I was gonna, wasn't going to get there. And um, and I could understand that why they gave it to Steve, because he really, he's already there with Sven. I find it amazing that the thing they're kind of asking you is when you're going to bring the players in. Well, they wanted like... to know what you're going to do for two weeks. Yeah. Know? What was, 
You know, especially like two not weeks. Be how are you going to win a home the game Cup? and an away game? Sorry. Should it not be how are you going to win? Oh the no, World yeah. Cup? No, how you? Yeah, obviously, yeah. what's your yeah. tactics and that? But, but also it was practically, an, it was an in-depth thing. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And how long did it take? The hours? Yeah, two or three hours. Blimey. But you know, you, you, I think the other boys gave a presentation, slides, and all yeah, sorts. Steve McLeod probably had animations. Well, on yeah, PowerPoint. I don't think Sam was shy either. But it was a big thing. But it went the other way. Yeah. And then um, a couple of months later, I left. I left Charlton. Yeah. And I think. They didn't have a bit to play in it, but it was it was something that needed didn't need to be known at yeah, the time, yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean. So, but we all understood why he got the job because he was there with Sven. Uh, he'd been at Man United, been coaching a lot of the players. Yeah, you know, and so he knew them, and uh, so and he, he'd have had the respect going in. So, so no, but unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But what, one of the players called up during Sven's reign was Chris Powell in his first yeah. squad when you were the manager yeah, yeah. so did you know anything about that that was going well, to that happen? was a massive you... I mean for Chrissy for Charlton it put apart from being in the Premier it put us on, on the map really I mean yeah. and what Sven done was like what any manager do he come into the job and as he's going around to all the Premier League games he's making a list of all the players that have impressed him and Chrissy was one of the players that impressed him Yeah, and they played at Villa Park against Spain and I was really proud. I went up to watch the game. Chrissy came from, from Derby, you know, London boy, coming to us and got in the England team. Yeah. And it was fantastic. And it was a great thing for the club. Did and you get to break the news to him? Yeah. And uh, Did you know it was coming? Did you have a sense that, oh, you remember a chance here? Not really, but when I got when I got a phone call from, from Sven, wow. saying, look, we're, we're going to call up Chrissy Powell, I did say to him, Sven, you know what? You've done the right thing here. Because if you're going for players that are playing the best at the moment, he's one of them, and he yeah. deserves a call-up. But perhaps other managers wouldn't have done it, you yeah. know. And uh, no, so Chrissy, Chrissy went in, and it was the start of something, you know. Like Mark Kinsella, or Kinsella, as I should say, he kept telling me his name was Kinsella. Um, <laughs> come from Gillingham, and then come to Charlton and got in the Premier League, then played in the World Cup, partnered Roy Keane. No, so we was having yeah. things like that happening, yeah. you know, and exciting, uh, exciting that the, the club had moved on so far. Yeah, I mean your record. We were, we, Josh and I were just absolutely amazed with your record as, as manager. You can't almost forget it, but you haven't managed since you left West yeah. Ham in two thousand eight. Why is that? Well, Why? I had a year sorting out the legal things with West Ham, which should never have happened. But at the time, managers didn't resign. Managers got sacked, and so the Premier League had a, a route for that to be sorted out. But they they didn't have a route for someone who'd resigned and suddenly they, they had a spate of it because I think uh, Kevin Keegan resigned uh, resigned at Newcastle and Martin O'Neill resigned at Villa and there wasn't a procedure in place Richard Scudmore you know owned up to that but yeah. it took a year and it should never have took a year so I think in that year perhaps a lot of damage was done uh, oh why'd your manager leave or oh, you wouldn't sell a player and, and all that sort of stuff so once that got sorted I was getting offered things after that but it wasn't what I thought was uh, right for me. And I, and I was being a bit picky, which I thought I, I had the right to be a bit picky. Yeah. You know, a long time in the Premier League and decent record. And the jobs didn't really come along. Um, and so suddenly it's two years. Then I started doing the, the TV and et cetera. And then I started getting into a lifestyle that I'd never seen before, like actually <laughs> seeing my wife and kids. <laughs> uh, and, and being at home, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. And, and, and then a job did come along. 
that I went for and I thought I had. I really did think I had it. And I thought, right, this is great. While I was waiting to find out other jobs come along, which I was asked to, to look at and I didn't because I thought, you know. Anyway, cut long story short, I didn't get the job. It went to someone else. And then suddenly I'm getting off, I got offered uh, a job where there was 10 games left to try and stay up and them sort of things. Then suddenly it's three years. Right? Yeah. And, and, and Alex, Alex said to me, on the cut, cut, you, you can't be out too long. If you're out too long, and then suddenly that was it, you know, mm. four years. Uh, and as I say, I'm, I was doing a lot of TV and, and, and quite enjoying it. At least if I had an opinion on a manager, uh, the manager couldn't phone me up the next day and say, oh, you've just slagged me off on, <laughs> on the telly. Yeah. Uh, what do you know? <laughs> because I've been there. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly I'm out of it. So I think, firstly, it was my fault that I've been out and been out too long because I, I got a bit picky and then... After that, you're forgotten. Yeah. And the way football moves, new owners, new chief executives, new agents involved, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And, and so that was it. I've drifted out of it. And Do you not get a phone call these days? Like, I no. Was, no. No, I, I, did, I did go in to help uh, Rennie Munnerstein at Fulham for a month as an advisor yeah. because he got the job. And I thought it was a brave decision um, because he got the job and he'd only ever been a coach and he felt he needed someone above him that could perhaps see, see a different picture and have a different view on things. Do you think you'll ever, you, you'll ever manage again? No. No, no, I've thought that for, for a few years now. Well, if you could press a button and go back in time to the 1st of January 1990, and maybe do it all again, maybe slightly differently, all the same, up to you, would you take the opportunity to go back and do it? Yeah. Really? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything different at Charlton. Yeah. Because uh, I think that you know, at the time, I think Alex was 20-odd years at Man United and Arsenal was 20-odd years at Arsenal. And I was the next one, 15 years, 16 years at, at Charlton. I don't know if you're going to see the like again. Um, but if I could turn back time, I would turn back uh, West Ham. Yeah. Because it, it was a job that I think that I'm massively disappointed with, that I think I could have done well. When I went there, the team stayed up. I know everyone says it was Tevez, but hold on. They won, the team won seven out of nine. We kept five clean sheets. I don't think Tevez had much to do with that. Sheffield <laughs> uh, United didn't take a point for ten games. You know, I don't yeah. think Tevez had much to do with that either. But, you know, we stayed up. The next season we finished tenth. And when I left, we were fifth. You know, and yeah. I think that I had a side. Gianfranco Zola come in, they finished ninth. I think I had a side that could compete at the time. Yeah. And the aim was to get into Europe. And I think that perhaps... Uh, with the players that were there, I'd have had a chance. So when I look back at my career as a manager, that is a bit that I look back with re regret. And if I could change it, then perhaps I would. I was thinking I'd maybe go back and have you tell the FA not to appoint Steve McLaren. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get too serious. Do we? Uh, you know, every now and then when I go to a game, people come up to me and they go, oh, you look all right. You don't look too bad. And I went, yeah, well, I've not been managing for a while. <laughs> Have a look at some of them on the telly. <laughs> so I'm all right on that. Yeah. Well, Kerbishley, thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. That was Alan Kerbishley. Oh, man, I love Alan Kerbishley. I don't you, care who knows. You loved it. Alec. I loved it. He's a so lovely fascinating. Bloke. The chat. One thirty before a game, though. One thirty before mate. the game. How is that the headline I've taken? And he, <laughs> he won't even remember he said that. 
But that, for me, is the big take home. That blows One, my mind. One thirty. It's making me really anxious. <laughs> I get, not enough so time. When I'm on tour, if I don't get there two hours before the start of the show, then I feel antsy. Yeah. yeah. And I don't have to do anything. There's no team tour. <laughs> I literally don't have to think about the show until two minutes to eight, and I arrive at six. And I, if I'm going to be getting a flight, I have to be there three hours before. Yeah. Like, let alone an hour and a half or again, where thousands of people are turning up to see you. It's just not enough time to get ready and just... What if you're caught in traffic? I remember once um, my dad sponsored the Matchball at West Ham and I went there. It was I got there at half 11 for a 3pm kickoff, and I, there was a tour took us into the dressing room and our substitute goalkeeper, Les Seeley, was fully kitted out at half 11. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've told that story before. But that's the kind of preparation I think I would this do. Was, I wish I'd asked this. Um... We've seen it in various documentaries, but also when I filmed something recently at Plymouth for the last leg, we went into the dressing room and all the players were sat waiting. It was six, so they'd just have turned up. Yeah. That we now find. I presume they've been there for hours. <laughs> but they were all reading the programme, and I found that absolutely mad. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wrote, um, I've got a column in the programme, Clang, and I wrote uh, when Mourinho came to town, it was when he was really under pressure at United, and I just kind of wrote about how much oh, you love as a fan doing one, doing him. And I thought, oh my God, he, he might read this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't think realise that too often. surely the, and I mean no disrespect, mobile phones must have led to the death of Sure. No, no, no. I'd like to think my column is propping up here. <laughs> <laughs> print, London. Print media. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something lovely about a programme, though. Like, if I don't get a programme from a game, I'm really annoyed and upset. I've got no interest. Oh. Really? Yeah. yeah. You can get the teams on your phone now. Yeah, but it's less I, about the teams, it's, it's a memento to keep I, saying. It's an awful article about the away team where they've cribbed all the Wikipedia pages. But I'm, yeah. I'm always surprised by the quality of a match day programme. If you buy one, it's like, there's some really good stuff in this, and you think, God, this is a real effort. You don't need to do the big sell, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst publications in the world. No offence. I've not read the West Ham one, so it uh, might really be completely well, different. It might be like... Um, it might be in for a treat at some point. Yeah, it might be like the London Review of Books. But <laughs> normally... Can Man- you win a Booker Prize for a bachelor programme? <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a shocker. So, that was Alan Kerbishley. Fascinating. What is always the thing with this show is things that people find mundane about their own day-to-day life yeah. are what we find most interesting. Yeah. Also, I felt... That playoff final, I don't even know how you stay calm. I think I'd be sick on the side of the pitch. And also, the upstairs... I've been thinking that thing about sitting upstairs in the stands for years. Yeah. Why are they not doing that? I know. Have you ever been in the front row at a football match? It's so shocking. Well, there's just no spatial awareness. Unless managers can see the game, they're like Neo in the Matrix. They just see it completely (laughs) different to us. Um, Shall we uh, we have some Steve Bruce fanfiction? Okay, this series we are doing, we're trialling a new thing where we ask you to leave a rating and review on iTunes in the style of some Steve Bruce slash Steve Barnes fan fiction. And this is our winner this week. Oh, by the way, you don't have to leave five stars, but it is gently encouraged. Um, And the winner this week is this review from Incontrovertible Turtle. Uh, Their title is Book Four Shotstopper. I weave That's through. A great start. <laughs> I weave through the hired toughies like Zola, the Italian soccer dynamo, not the French wordsmith. My secretary called on my handheld mobile telephone. Typical. Women really do have a sixth sense. It's called drama. <laughs> Care for a chamomile? She winked down the line. More like run a mile, I said. 
Luckily, I'd packed my Adidas Predators. As I sped off across the barren moorland, I thought of everything there was and everything there ever will be. About rocks, <laughs> space and my Jaguar XJ8. Three of my favourite syllables. The present simple. Jag, you are. Jag, I am. <laughs> the oozy welding goons were almost upon me. But, like Petre Schmeichel, the Molecaster United goalie, I executed an inch-perfect star jump that sent all four of them sprawling. <laughs> I gasped, half-disgusted and half-delighted with my gymnastic feet when I realised that one was Kelvin Keegan, my old footballing flame. And I mean that literally. He was both advancing in years and burning up from the sheer heat of my prose. <laughs> Quickly, Kelvo, I rasped. What's the score? It's Kelvin, he grimaced like a man rudely awakened in a lay-by. And it's a five. The end. Oh, wow. Lovely. Lovely. Brilliant. Brilliant. There you go. The well, winner this week, Incontrovertible Turtle. Congratulations, Incontrovertible Turtle. You've won a limited edition Steve Barnes Letters for Town Mug. Drop us an email at hello at quicklykevin.com to claim your prize. And for all of you who have asked us via email and social media, yes, the Ivo Graham Letters for Town football shirt is real. If you want to purchase one, head over to www.quicklykevin.com forward slash shop. But hurry, as stock is very, very limited. And if you think you can beat that review, get on iTunes, leave a review in the style of some Steve Bruce that fan fiction. so good. It doesn't always have to be that long as well. Like, don't feel like you have to write a full novel. That yeah. was sadly Vim. That could have won three weeks in a row, but he did it all at once. <laughs> right, the quiz? Yeah, as always, it's the end of episode quiz. Chris and Josh play off against each other to see who picks a song that plays out the show. As a tribute to our guest this episode, Alan Kerbishley, the match we're going to pick is, of course, Charlton Athletic versus Sunderland, the cool. playoff final. This is a difficult oh, one. Difficult. 25th of May, 1998, Charlton v. Sunderland. Okay. It's one all for the series. Josh, would you like to pick first? Yes, I would. Kevin Phillips. Correct. Niall Quinn. Correct. Michael Gray. Correct. Clive Mendonca. Correct. Sean Bartlett, Mr. Penalty. Scored the winning penalty. Scored the winning penalty. Alan Kobashi. I think you're literally wrong. Literally just. No, the... no, no. You've got the name wrong. Have I got the name wrong? You've got the name wrong. Sean Newton. Oh. It was Sean Newton. Oh, you've got Sean Newton. So that's Richard, one life. Lost. Richard Rufus. Richard Rufus, correct. Steve Jones. From T4. From T4. I know Steve Jones a little bit. Uh, he came on as a substitute. Oh, what? So okay. you must pick again. Um. Have we had um, Nicky Weaver for Sunderland? I don't think so. What? No, do I mean Nicky Weaver? No, Who do I mean? No, I've got, my, I've got my 90s playoff finals oh. mixed up. Incorrect. Oh, oh, God. Dean Keeley? Was he in goal for Charlton? Incorrect. Oh, oh it was Sasa Illich. It was Sasa Illich. Oh. I mean, you both did better than I thought you might. Oh, should we have the teams? The rest of the team. So Charlton, Danny Mills, Eddie Yowd, Mark Bowen, Keith Jones... Mark Kinsella, oh. Neil Heaney, and Mark Bright. The only ones we regret are ones that Alan Kerbishley <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> mentioned it. <laughs> uh, and Sunderland in goal, Lionel Perez, oh, and then uh, Perez. Darren Holloway, Jody Craddock, Darren Williams, Nicky Summerby, Lee Clark, Kevin Ball, Alan Johnson. So it's a tough one. That is a tough one. Skull yeah. wins. I'm sad to say it's 2 1 to Skull. Oh dear. Pressure. Pressure. Uh, yeah. Well, how are you going to handle that press conference after this? <laughs> I'm not going for it. Come have a glass of wine. I'm in not my going office. for a glass of wine in your <laughs> office. What song would you like to play at the end of the show? It's got to be the Who, hasn't it? 
Yes, can we play out to uh, something from Quadrophenia? That deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Yeah, it's not from Quadrophenia. Is it? Yes. Oh, God. Is it The Who? Yeah, it is The Who. Oh. <laughs> it's called Pinball Wizard. Pinball, pinball Wizard, please. Join us next week when we will be talking to Tom Davis. And I should say, Robbie Slater has followed me on Twitter, so we're now pals. Robbie Slater, see you later. Ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. From Soho down the Brighton, I must have played them all. But I ain't seen nothing like it.